Well, yes, we are back. This is The Bike Show on Resonance FM, 104.4 on the FM and on the internet. And uh, my name's Jack Thurston, and we are back for another season of The Bike Show. Have you missed us? And uh, joining me in the studio today, in fact, this week and also next week, is a uh, bike show stalwart, um, Kieran Yates, who's um, back from his trip across the United States or down the United States and um, has basically come along to share uh, some of what he found out on the road. Welcome to the show again, Kieran. Hi, Jack. Thanks very much. So just by way of kind of introduction, what, what was your journey? Um, <clears throat> basically, it was a... It got towards 3,000 miles total distance covered. It went from Fargo, North Dakota, heading north initially up to um, Lake Itasca and Bemidji in northern Minnesota and then all the way south down to New Orleans. And um, how long did it take you? Altogether, um, I think it was 42 days altogether. And, 42 days, and, that's and, pretty good going. And that included stoppages. And so what's that kind of average, average distance per... Uh, day um, on the road, it was around about seventy-five miles a day, but I did take time off. I had several uh-huh, rest uh-huh. days. <laughs> and so your your route down the middle of America. A lot of people, when they ride, do long rides in America, including Tom, the hungry cyclist, who came on the show um, almost more than more than a year ago now. Um, ride from coast to coast, but you decided to ride from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I suppose I was being a bit uh, contrary, and uh, I, I wanted to do something unique. Um, I, I knew there was a vague trail marked from the Mississippi headwaters down to um, New Orleans, but um, I hadn't heard of that many people actually doing the ride. Um, so I decided to get myself on a plane and then a train and uh, make my way over there. Well, we're going to um, listen to one or two odds and ends of music and some interviews that you did with people you met along the way. So clearly the Mississippi River was, you know, your way and then you followed the basin all the way down. I mean, did, did you start at the headwaters of the Mississippi? Um, the, the actual journey started in Fargo, which is about 125 miles south of the headwaters. So I had a bit of a journey to get to the headwaters. And uh, the headwaters themselves are in uh, Itasca State Park in northern Minnesota. And that's about 150 miles south of the Canadian border. Um, and... Up there, the river 
when it emerges from Lake Itasca, it's probably about twenty feet wide and one feet one foot deep. No, I'm yeah. just I'm just unfolding <laughs> my map. I've got my map of the United States here open in the middle section. So here we are. What what state are it's you in? Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. So um, north of Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's where you pick up. Oh yeah. So you've got the lakes up there, and uh, so it's just a just a. A mere trickle. A mere trickle, yes. It's um, one foot deep and about 25 feet wide. You can walk across it, which I did. Uh, By the time it gets down to New Orleans, or even before it gets to New Orleans, if you catch the the Mississippi in high flood, there's uh, reckoned to be three million cubic feet per second passing down the river. Okay. (laughs) So you you get an idea of how much water You can't walk across... In New Orleans, <laughs> no, you certainly, short. Can't. you certainly can't. <laughs> so, when you were riding along, I mean, did did you have the river in your view a lot of the time? I mean, how much were you on roads as well? How much were you um, on like bike paths? It was a mixture of bike paths and roads. Um, but just go to go back to um, the significance of the Mississippi in terms of um, American society. I, I spoke to Mark Wallet at the National Mississippi River Museum, and he gives a nice overview of the river. I think in terms of um, the deep-rootedness in American culture, in American history, the Mississippi, when you just mentioned that to not only Americans but people around the world, it has a certain sort of uh, 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 nostalgia already built into mm. people's understandings. You think about Mark Twain, Huck Finn, that sort of thing. You think of steamboats and, and uh, early explorers like Marquette and Joliet. Those sorts of figures come to mind uh, automatically when you mention the Mississippi. So as you talk about Yellowstone, Glacier National Park, Yosemite, I think the Mississippi River uh, has even a deeper impact or a deeper psychological meaning to many Americans and certainly mm-hmm. people in the Midwest. The Mississippi River drains 38 states, everything from between the Rocky Mountains and the Appalachians. All of the rivers and mountains and streams all drain into the Mississippi River in one form or another and then therefore to the Gulf of Mexico. So it really is a, a, a huge network and interconnectedness for a great part of this country. Over the last hundred years or so, there's been a lot of effort put into controlling the river and uh, managing the channels of the river for navigation. I'm sure I read somewhere it's impossible to tame the Mississippi. Do you feel that any of these attempts have been worthwhile? I think it, I think it depends on your perspective. If you're looking for um, a balanced use of the river, meaning trying to find a delic- that delicate balance between environmentalism but also realizing that there's recreational and commerce and all of the different uses of the river, I think we're getting wiser in terms of trying to reach that balance. And I think some of the decisions that we've made have been good. But obviously, when you start to look at some of the changes that you're describing in, term, in terms of putting in a massive locks and dam system uh, in the early 20th century, that had huge environmental impacts that only now are we starting to uh, help correct or to realize what deep impacts those have had on, on the ecology of the river. Um, so I would, again, depending on your perspective, mm-hmm. we've learned some hard lessons and, and we've done some things with our river that in terms of environmental health have been very damaging. But again, in terms of commerce and the growth of our nation, I think in some ways were unavoidable. Yeah. Um, but I, as I said, I think we've learned some lessons and, and now we're starting to, to really realize that there are things that we can do to help uh, bring that uh, brilliant, that vibrant ecology back to where it should be and where it was before uh, industrialization. 
you know the history of, of uh, the river, this part of the river is uh, very similar to what you'd experience in other industrialized countries in terms of uh, the 18th and 19th and early 20th centuries. We spent much of our time polluting and, and uh, taking advantage of the resources that were given and only within the last 50 years or so has our ecological science caught up with our industrial science and we've really seen some great progress towards returning the river to a, a natural state. Um, the birds and other wildlife that, uh, that you witnessed on your uh, journey down this far um, have really started to, to bounce back, so to speak, within the last several decades. And, and currently the uh, upper Mississippi is healthier now than it has been in uh, the last hundred years. So we're hoping, obviously, a part of the message that we do here at the museum is, is to spread that message in terms of how uh, uh, what we do on a day-to-day -day basis in our lives uh, does affect our natural resources, certainly affects the river, and, uh, and impacts those animals and, and the plants and other things that are on the ecology of this river. Do you think in some ways the health of the river reflects the health of the nation? I think so. I think so. I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, sort of benchmark for our country as we look at the river uh, today. It certainly uh, is a deep reflection of the change in policy or in, in not necessarily a governmental policy, but maybe the mindset of most Americans in terms of our, our awareness of our environment and, and uh, again, as I said, how what we do every day affects the environment very deeply. That was Mark Wallach from the National uh, Mississippi River Museum in Dubuque, Iowa, talking about uh, the significance of the river. Um, you were talking about cycle paths there, and you kind of get stretches of very good cycle path um, through forests and their dedicated cycle paths. Um, when I got down to Minneapolis, um, it, that was quite an experience because I've never really been in a city where um, there is a great deal of cycling in infrastructure. And to find it in mid-America um, mid was quite a surprise. And I went out with bike show listener Bill Connell, who took me uh, for a ride around Minneapolis along some of the uh, bike paths there. Oh, it's hard to even guess. A hundred or more, it's kind of broken up. There are lots of stretches of the... The Greenway Path that we were just on that cuts through southern Minneapolis is about five miles, but then there are um, other paths. There's one in St. Paul that goes northeast that's probably 30 miles long, and uh, several paths around lakes that five that, that, to ten miles. Yesterday I went for a ride around the three lakes over on the western side of the city. Yep. I think that must have been about 10 miles uh, of cycle path on its own. Oh, it's, it's a very popular area. In the weekends, it's, it's practically impossible to get through with the, the hundreds of people that collect the lakes. Yeah, a lot of the suburbs are, are very car-heavy, and then they just don't make much space for bikes. Some of them will have nice lanes through parks, um, but I don't know if they really connect up enough to make a, a decent network. In the city, it's a little better. You've got a lot of... You know, city routes and, uh, again, it's not all as well connected as we'd like, but um, you can generally get around the city probably better than a lot of suburbs because it's not broken up as much by the highways and you've actually got a little bit of dedicated space to work with, whereas it's less common in the suburbs. We're uh, going by Freewheel Bike, one of the larger <laughs> bike shops around, by coincidence. And we'll probably see a lot of bikes just because it's a student area through here. A few people out sculling on the river there. Yep. Quite steeply wooded bluffs here, aren't they? And uh, 
obviously feeling the benefit of the summer sun and uh, the rain. We've had a, a wonderfully lush couple of weeks and uh, now it's just starting to get real warm. We're going to probably hit 90 degrees this weekend for the first time. That's too much, I think. Yeah. Too much too soon, but I think by percentage the number of bike commuters in Minneapolis is about double that of St. Paul. And, and how does that compare nationally? I think there was a survey that came out not too long ago and I think Minneapolis was in the top three of uh, cycle commuters by percentage. What do you think makes people get out on their bikes? Is it mainly the infrastructure? Most people ride their bikes just because it's fun. I, I think the number of people who get out and ride their bikes because of gas prices or because it's you know the right or wrong thing to do or uh, anything like that. I think that's all secondary. I think people either ride their bikes because they enjoy to ride them or they just don't ride. And things like a better infrastructure enable people to ride more and might entice some new people to ride. And especially riding for basic transportation. I think if there is no infrastructure to support it, I think it just doesn't happen. Do you know how many miles this little commute that we've just done is? About six miles since yeah. we've met. It's been quite a pleasant ride, really, and, uh, and mostly on quiet either back roads or dedicated cycle lanes. Not the full scenic route, but yeah. relatively quiet. That was uh, Bill Connell, bike show listener, who very kindly showed me around uh, uh, Minneapolis and invited me for dinner, and I had a great time with him and his family. Um, from Minneapolis, I headed south, um, obviously, um, and the the roads. I, I was mainly using roads at that point, and they become very rolling. You you think of uh, a river running downhill, but the bluff country south of Minneapolis it runs all the way down to southern Missouri. And I spoke to somebody else recently who had cycled the east-west routes across America and he said that the hardest part was riding through the bluff country of Missouri and uh, I can believe that but anyway it was quite a strenuous dull stretch of the journey um, lots of farmland um, in a way I was quite relieved for the hills because um, at least I wasn't on the actual plains where uh, you've got the long straight roads but um through that section, uh, you pass through places like Nauvoo in Illinois, which was um, the place where the Latter-day Saints uh, founded their first um, Mormon Grand Temple. That was uh, through there. So this is where the Mormons came from, but not where they live right well, now. Originally, they'd been on the East Coast, and they'd uh, been chased off from the East Coast during the Mormon Wars, and they ended up in Nauvoo. They came to Quincy, Illinois, where they um, were quite welcomed by the community there, and they uh, set up their own town at Nauvoo. And 
ultimately there were splits in the church and the locals began to get resentful about uh, the community being there and eventually it was Brigham Young and um, Joseph Smith Jr. who made the decision that they should migrate westwards to um, across the plains um, what, to, to uh, Salt Lake City, or what would become Salt Lake City? That's right, yeah, eventually they ended up in Salt Lake City. So in the winter of 1845-1846, uh, they started walking across the frozen Mississippi, and um, ice being what it is, um, a lot of them actually fell through the ice and died. Uh, the local rumour whilst I was there that uh, Bill Gates, who is... Uh, possibly a Mormon himself, is planning to build a memorial footbridge across the river at that point. Yikes, Bill Gates is a Mormon. <laughs> um, I can't confirm it, but uh, certainly the rumour locally was well, that. Well, you heard it here <laughs> first on The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. We are travelling down the Mississippi River Basin with uh, Kieran Yates following the route that he rode um, a few months ago now. Um, and uh, what was going through your mind when you're going through this kind of like empty land? Um, basically, getting to the next town was my major concern. So it's kind of like head down, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, and, and you end up in some very nice little. The, the actual small river towns in Iowa and Illinois were absolutely fantastic, very welcoming people. I, I didn't like some of the larger cities like uh, Davenport. Davenport is a, a very boosterish kind of town and I've got nothing good to say about Davenport Iowa. Really? What happened to you in Davenport? Um, it was just it, it it's kind of full of itself basically but there's very little going on there and uh, it's not just me who had that opinion people five miles down the road had, had the same mm, opinion. And, uh, so nobody likes uh, Davenport. I, I've read stories from <laughs> the early 20th century from people who had the same uh, opinion of it but um yeah, it's just um, wasn't a very exciting place. And uh, talk us through the bike that you were riding, because it wasn't like an, a normal a normal touring bicycle at all, was it? Um, no, it wasn't. It was a, a fixed gear bike that I put together myself. Um, I think it had. A so you only had one gear, and one, you couldn't freewheel. I couldn't freewheel. I had one gear, and and that was fine actually. I had no problems with that at all. I, I had to get off and walk a few times up some of those steep bluffs, but probably only four or five times. In the journey in and total. what kind of uh, gear length were you uh, using? It was a, on Sheldon Brown's recommendation, it was a 68-inch gear, which I went for in the end. Sheldon Brown, <laughs> so Sheldon, you went by to visit, of course you did, because um, yes. you interviewed Sheldon Brown earlier in the, in the last season of The Bike Show, and he recommended a 68, and that proved to be... Um, the right choice, did it? It did, yes. Um, he, he, he recommended the 68 because I wouldn't spin out if I got a tailwind. I don't, I don't think I got many tailwinds. It felt as though I was going into a headwind all the time. <laughs> I know uh, the feeling. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was that was fine. And I, I had a, a large Caradice saddlebag on the back and that carried about seven or eight kilos of luggage in total. So you just had basically your, your saddlebag with... Um, a change of clothes and your enormous uh, digital recording and microphone <laughs> unit and that was and your credit card and that was about it a toothbrush yeah that was basically a change of clothes and I kept on accumulating books which was a mistake because the tolerance of the rack on the back became quite precarious at points and I did snap the bolt that 
holds the saddle onto the seat post Yikes. a couple of times. So, so you had to get that, yeah, so carry a few spare bolts. Uh, right? In the end, that's what I did. But the, <laughs> the first time it happened, I was rescued by a guy at the side of the road, and that was fantastic. Well, um, just to. Uh, uh, pause for a moment before we continue. I want to say that I am heading down to the Cycle Show, which is the great big trade fair um, in London um, this weekend. And we have some tickets to give away. These tickets normally cost 10 quid. Uh, but if you want to go down for free, courtesy of the bike show, um, give us a call now in the studio in the next 10 minutes or so, um, 0207 836 3664. That's 0207 836 3664 and um, yeah if you want a ticket to the bike show just give your name and a phone number and I'll call you back after we go off air and sort it all out um, otherwise if you're listening by podcast do not fear just um, drop an email to bikeshow at gmail.com and uh, uh, say that you're interested in going along it's down at the in Docklands at the um, XL um, kind of exhibition centre. I went last year and it's pretty good. Um, pretty much everybody is exhibiting there and there's all the latest bikes and gadgets and clothing and, and I don't know, nonsense that is associated with with bicycling paraphernalia. Um, but why not pop down without having to pay to get in? Um, so yeah, that number again is 0207 836 3664 or an email to bikeshow at com. So, Kieran, you're headed down through Mormon, out, out of Mormon country. Yeah, um, I went back over to the Iowa side of the river and then down to through Missouri. Hannibal, Missouri was a, a, another nice river town. That's Mark Twain's hometown. His famous quote about the bicycle was buy a bicycle you won't regret it if you live and by the end of the journey i was certainly feeling a <laughs> slight bit like that but you didn't i mean you weren't, you weren't i mean 75 miles a day on a on a, a fixed wheel bicycle touring is quite a heavy ask i mean were you did you get aches and pains at the end of the day at the end of the day i, I felt pretty good actually and um i i actually enjoyed the whole experience of riding fixed gear that kind of distance um and I didn't find it overly tiring, really. It was uh, you don't get the same kind of lactic acid buildup that you might because well, your legs are moving because you're spinning all the time, basically. Right. Once you get to the top of a hill, you might have that lactic acid buildup then, but then you're spinning on the way down. But your knees weren't uh, knees were fine in yeah. pain because that's what they say about uh, fixed gear bikes: is they yeah. knacker your knees. <laughs> But it depends how many longest skid competitions you were entering along the way. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't doing that, and I have two brakes on the bike, so I wasn't uh, doing the braking with the knees. Um, I'm not that macho. So you crossed over um, the uh, point where the Lewis and Clark expedition started in 1804. I mean, this is the expedition that really mapped out the American West and was sort of seeking a river route to the Pacific um, under the kind of patronage of uh, of thomas jefferson um it was there was 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 there anything to see at the beginning of that um well that was in saint charles missouri uh just north of saint louis um it's a very quaint little town saint charles and it's probably one of the prettiest towns on the river uh they've done put a lot of work into uh retaining a lot of the early 19th century buildings there and um they have it's there's a a long bicycle trail that starts there called the katie trail um and from there from 
St. Charles, I went down to St. Louis, across the largest dedicated uh, pedestrian and cycle bridge in the world, which is the old Route 66 bridge over the old chain of rocks, uh, which is a uh, string of rapids across the river just north of St. Louis. Um, in St. Louis, I met another cyclist who was doing the same journey as myself, but he was heading north f- from south to north. And, uh, so he was name- doing it uphill? He was doing it uphill, yes. He had gears on his bike, and his name was Jeremy Maxwell Parrish, and he told me a bit about his journey, and he had some interesting things to say about roadkill. Well, I started out in New Orleans, but then I had some friends who were from work who were driving up uh, to Kentucky. And so I actually started out in a town called Monkey's Eyebrow on the, uh, the, the eastern, eastern part of Kentucky. And so from Kentucky, I cut over to uh, the Mississippi River to a town called Cairo on Highway Through, and that's where the Ohio River and the Mississippi River converge. And you're heading all the way up to Minnesota. To Minnesota, and that's where, that's where I grew up, and I, I've been living in New Orleans for the last, it was about eight months. I got there end of October of this year, right after the storm. I had some friends who were living there, and uh, I went down to do some volunteer work, and uh, some of my volunteer work turned into a full-time job. This organization <laughs> called The Green Project, where I'm doing some architectural salvage. And uh, and that's actually where the bicycle came from, this, this rusting heap <laughs> to talk about. Well, and, it is a charming <laughs> rusting heap, and it's obviously uh, roadworthy because it's got you this far. All right, and, I, I hope and so. I, I think, um, Where's some wood to knock on? <laughs> and... Um, I'm full of admiration for anybody who uh, just uses basic technology to get where they want to go. Um, it's actually it's it's a bicycle that I built all myself. It came from a, it, it was a, a flooded bike that came into the Green Project, an old uh, it's a Fuji Monterey, a Japanese bike. And I, I was struck by this. It, it's a baby blue color, but then it's got all these rust marks, and I I, I was real struck by the way the the rust and blue uh, complemented each other. So I, uh, I I worked at the the community bicycle project in New Orleans, a place called uh, Plan B, five eleven Marini. You should check it out when you get down to New Orleans. It's uh-huh. a pretty neat spot. And uh, got new wheels and new hardware, overhauled everything, <laughs> and uh, it was a it was a single speed for a while. Just rode it around New Orleans, but uh, ended up uh, deciding to do this bicycle trip and put five speeds onto it put a rear brake on it and and uh, yeah it's gotten me this far one more thing about your bike this morning when i saw it it had some kind of reptilian skin across the top tube what what, what exactly was that well I, I, as i was biking up highway three through illinois i saw there, there was a lot of there was a lot of roadkill along the, <laughs> on the side of the highway I started, I started thinking about all this roadkill and how, I mean, it, it just rots on the side of the road. And then I came across this snake, probably been hit about an hour earlier. And it, it just, it, it, it's, its head had been hit. So it was just crushing the head, so it was like pretty much a, a complete snake other than this, this head. So, so I found this snake and I've always, I've always been kind of terrified by snakes, like even like pictures. And So I, I guess just miles up the road I've been thinking about, you know, how, how, these, how these animals must look once they fully decompose. And if there's just like a, you know, like a snake skeleton that's on the side of the road. I was, it was just something that was going through my mind. So when I found this snake, I, I, I decided that I, I'd, ta- I'd, take it, I'd take the skin. That I'd like take this. I'd skin this snake, and I like I grew up on a farm, so I had like 
I had some experience doing that sort of thing. I found a stick and like made sure it was dead. And I was I was pretty nervous about it, but eventually I just uh, yeah I just I made a made a cut up the abdomen and, and peeled back the skin and 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 then it, it seemed logical to me that. Uh, that I could just wrap it around my bike frame, and while I, while I was riding, it would, it would dry out. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I actually, I don't know, this is kind of the sad part of the story, but I actually took it off this afternoon. It started to, started to have a, a, an unpleasant odor. And, and the, the, it, it had dried out, but it, the flies were still very interested in it. I, I saw... So it needs curing in some It seems, I think if I would have had like a, a large board to like tag uh-huh. onto and like leave it out in the sun for several days, it, it would have cured, but... But uh, yeah, it's something. It's something I'd like to. I'd like to explore further. Just because. I, mean, I think. I think of all the, all the ground scores you find while you're bicycling along the highway. Like, it, 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 it's an. It's an interesting one. Uh, that was Jeremy Maxwell Parish in St. Louis talking about his journey up the river. Um, and next week we will be heading further south, down through Memphis, Clarksdale, and ultimately New Orleans. Um, yeah, well, half an hour goes very quickly when you're cycling across America. And don't forget, um, if you want to come to see the cycle show for free, um, courtesy of the bike show, uh, send an email to bikeshow at gmail.com. Well, thanks for uh, coming on to share your uh, journey with us, Kieran, and uh, look forward to talking more about it next week. Thank you, Jack. Until then, chapeau. Uh, Clear Spot is up next. Resonance 104.4 FM, the art of listening.